I got an article pulled up about uh, Michael Bay is apparently facing criminal charges for killing a pigeon on set. Have you seen this? I did. I did. What? Uh, what are we covering next week? Is it is it my pick again? I, uh... It could be. Oh, here's a good review, by the way. Copenhagen Cowboy Review, the most boring version of the coolest show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pushers and users of all ages, welcome to Only Pod Forgives, a show where fellow like-minded, neon-soaked film bros have assembled to discuss, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the works of Nicholas Winding Refn. My name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow tracksuit-clad outsider, Travis, to discuss Refn's latest work, the six-part streaming series, now on Netflix, Copenhagen Cowboy. A young, enigmatic renegade named Mew is searching for her nemesis, Raquel. After devoting her life to an unknown organization for years, she seeks vengeance on her nemesis whilst navigating the ominous criminal netherworld of Copenhagen through a natural and supernatural odyssey, revisiting her past and its ties to aspects of her relationships with Raquel. This is the IMDb synopsis for the plot of Copenhagen Cowboy. I was, I was going to ask, because that is not what happens in this TV show at all. This is something Refn does not appear to give a damn about either, Travis. <laughs> After finding mainstream success with his uh, true breakout film Drive in 2011, Refn has drifted further and further from conventional Hollywood filmmaking and storytelling instead, doubling down on the thematic interest and languid pacing that have pulled the auteur further and further from the public consciousness and deeper into the well of art house fare that often can be described as pure style over substance. Copenhagen Cowboy isn't going to win over anyone who hasn't already been fond of ref and shtick, but for those diehard fans, Big or small as that group may actually be, the show is effectively a greatest hits compilation. We get all the trademarks, a heavy synth score, a neon drenched neo-noir aesthetic that wouldn't feel out of place in a very high-end edgy perfume commercial, and that slow 360-degree camera pan demanding that the viewer savor every eye-popping detail lest they become bored out of their goddamn minds. This is as challenging as television can get and does get. And while it won't be everyone's cup of tea, there's no denying that Refn is utterly singular in his image making. To appreciate a Refn project such as Copenhagen Cowboy is to accept that sometimes style does win the day over substance. Now, when reading that synopsis, Travis, of the plot for Copenhagen Cowboy... 
the new Netflix show or series or whatever you want to call it. I, I feel like it doesn't play like television, this thing, right? It's not very episodic, even though it kind of is. Um, the plotting means nothing here, right? It means absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. We were talking before we went on air about uh, how we both kind of feel you should just start with episode three and then watch the four episodes and you will probably enjoy this more. I 100% agree. Um, but Refin is a guy who, like, since we started the podcast, really, and started exploring outside of our main topic at hand. Yeah. outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and comic books um, and talking about stuff that does interest us like film outside of that like very uh, high budget intellectual property stuff um, <laughs> Refin is kind of my guy in a lot of ways like Drive is a top 10 film of all time for me mm-hmm. and I've kind of been dying to talk about anything Nicholas Winding Refin whether or not we had to go back and do an episode just like on drive or on only God forgives or neon demon or any of his movies or something new that would come out. Um, But drive found mainstream success in 2011. Right. And that was the same year that fast five came out. And I remember both of those movies coming out that same summer. And like, I'm a huge fast and furious fan, but there being this like, crazy divide between the general movie going public where a a lot of people went to go see that it was a huge successful film yeah a lot of the people walked out of that theater not knowing what the hell they just saw and not capable of digesting what they just saw and then there were people like me who thought i just found my new guy you know Mm -hmm. and since then his faith in the public and in Hollywood studios has gone kind of to the toilet where he has not been able to make anything financially viable since and has kind of fallen to his worst and most self-indulgent impulses. Do you think that there is any hope or chance that Refn will ever get financing for a feature film again? Oh, God, I hope so. Like, just buy him some red and blue lights and then <laughs> like, hacks the budget there. He can get them on sale probably after the holidays, maybe. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope he does. So, like, I don't think he really cares about being ultra successful or anything. He just wants to make the things he wants to make. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I kind of would prefer a, a movie over another TV show from him or a season two of this even. Yeah. Yeah. I really need for Refn to be constrained in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah. An editor. It was, just, uh, yes. Someone to wrangle him in, even if it's the studio wrangling him in and like mm-hmm. stepping on his vision. Sometimes that's for the best. You know what I mean? Um, I actually, you know, I talk about the movie, the town, the Ben Affleck movie, like, fucking all the time like far too much um i've just found out yesterday that they're the first cut that affleck 
handed in for the town was like four and a half hours long. And the studio was like, we need this to be two hours, like no matter what. And they were able to put it into this really tight constructed narrative. You know what I mean? Um, There is so much meandering in Refn's like post drive output where it's not about the story. It's not about the characters. It's the mood and the the visuals and the soundtrack. Yeah, it's it's a hundred percent like a cinematic, like how does this make you feel? But unlike a lot of his influences, the Hordorowskis of the world, the David Lynch's of the world, how much of that actually means something, like artistically, is really up for debate with him. You know what I mean? Um yes, yes. Uh, and I don't think he's ever going to give an honest answer on most things. I, I, he seems like someone you like to fucking with interviewers a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He's a prankster, I think is what you would call that. Um, yeah. 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 I uh, was watching some interviews with him before we went on the air. And one of them was about his big influences in film and how he got interested in film. Right. Um, and the, he, this was, at the time of drive. So he was still kind of giving normal real human answers and not like alien fucking lizard person prankster answers. Um, And Refn said when he was a kid, he was dyslexic and he couldn't read and he's partially colorblind. So he could barely see colors in movies. And then he lived in New York. He's, um, he's a Danish filmmaker. He's from the Netherlands. And, um, when he lived in New York, he went to go see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a kid, a very brightly lit film that's very visceral. And he said, ever since then, he doesn't want to be a director. He doesn't want to be a storyteller or a writer. He wants to do to people what that movie did to him. He wants to make you feel like that movie made him feel. He's more interested in the visceral audience audience experience than the actual storytelling component and that kind of made a lot of sense to me right when you think about like everything he's done um i was joking with you this week and you know i said like refin is kind of my guy because of drive but he's also kind of the love child of the two hyper specific things that i'm most interested in Uh, in terms of filmmakers Mm -hmm. where he is, what did I say? He's the speedball of, he's the cinematic speedball of Michael Mann and David Lynch. Like where you chop up equal lines of David Lynch and Michael Mann and put them together. You know what I mean? If Michael Mann was cinematic cocaine and David Lynch was cinematic heroin, you would get Nicholas winding Refn in that vial. Um, And I think that kind of rings true for his tone and for his look. I just, especially with Copenhagen Cowboy, I wish, and these television series and this long form stuff, I just wish there was something storytelling wise to hold it together with some sort of cohesion. Some thrust. Mm -hmm. Some thrust. Yeah. Um, When were you, even though there's a lot of thrusting in this stuff, uh, when were you first introduced to Refn? What what was the first thing that you remember seeing of his that made it stand out? 
Oh, I drive most likely. Uh, there's a chance that it may have been one of the pusher films. I want to say that I watched them because of Mad Mickelson. Uh, okay. It was when he was first starting to become uh, more famous, so I was curious to see more of his work. But yeah, I think Drive was the first one, and then... And then probably Bronson, right? I Yeah, yeah. I want to say after the Pusher films, it was Bronson, mm-hmm. and then uh, Only God Forgives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, then uh... some Valhalla writing somewhere in the mix there, too, uh... Yeah, because Valhalla Rising and Bronson were both distributed by a company that you and I, when we first met and first started talking a lot, we both adored this company called Magna Releasing. Yes, yes. It just kind of ate up everything that they put out. And it was it was genre all over the place. You know what I mean? Um and Refin really does care about like it's almost like elevated genre, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of his stuff, like we'll get into Copenhagen Cowboy and like what kind of genres it falls into. <laughs> uh, spoiler, it's not cowboys. It's not a Western, really. No, no, not really. Not really. Even though like the main character is kind of like Clint Eastwood's man with no name, except <laughs> maybe an alien superhero. But um, but yeah, when Magna Releasing came out, two of the movies that they put out were Bronson and Valhalla Rising. Refn came to fame i guess overseas with a trilogy of danish films from the late 90s to mid 2000s called the pusher movies each one is shot on a handheld camera there is something very punk rock about those movies there's something Mm -hmm. very fucking um, there is this kind of like groundedness to them you know what i mean yeah i think Uh, they're the the most accessible uh straightforward you don't think drive would be uh drive it Oh, that's tough. It's in English. It has Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very sexy. Yeah, yeah, but uh, they have more of a story. Uh, yeah, more of a narrative thrust that we're talking about. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Grime is more lackadaisical, I guess. Uh, just slow pace. Slow sure. pace is definitely the, the word. Um, did you see Drive in theaters? No, no. Gotcha. Yeah, I... Uh, I was looking for any excuse in 2011 to like Ryan Gosling and because I, I liked him. I didn't know why I liked him, but I always kind of like stuck up for him. And at that you point, didn't in time, know he wanted to make a, an album of spooky movies or anything like that yet. So I had know. no idea about that. I had I not seen Lars versus a real girl or half Nelson. I just like was married to a girl who watched the notebook and I thought this guy's pretty good. And he's in this movie with Cassavet's kid and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and, and Gina Cassavet's wife is in it. And, and I wanted to like it. I just, it was like a movie. I wouldn't like admit to anyone. Oh my God. I like the notebook <laughs> at that time in my life in my mid twenties. Hey, and, sure. yeah. yeah. And then drive came out and it came out the same summer that fast five came out. And I thought, Oh my God, Gosling is in this car movie that looks like in the vein of uh fast and the furious meets an old steve mcqueen movie right that's what i'm going into this thinking it's gonna be and then i hear like french electro music and everything about it felt very dream like it kind of has this dreamy kind of quality to it and this kind of ethereal kind of quality to it 
And then when the violence happens, it's so visceral and sudden and, and, sudden and jarring and intense. And that movie, I saw that night with my wife and thought that was one of the best experiences I've had in like forever at the, at the movie theaters. You know, I just saw fast five and this blew it out of the way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I went back the next day with my friend because I said, you have to go see this. You're not going to believe this. You know what I mean? I, I just said like, you are not going to fucking believe what this movie actually is. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it with my buddy Nat and he's like, you are right. Like I cannot believe that this thing fucking exists. The next day, after that, I go and see it with my friend Chris. The day after that, I go and see it with two of my coworkers, and I ended up seeing that movie like close to eleven times in the movie theaters. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I just kept every day just saying, "You are not going to believe that this thing exists," you know. And to this day, I mean, I don't drive anymore, but like when I used to just like if I was driving around at night, especially like in a city like I live close to New York. That's what I hear in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. To this day, that's still in my head. And I couldn't wait for whatever Nicholas Winding Refn had for me next. And then I hear he's making a Thai gangster movie and he's reuniting with Gosling. And I think nothing could sound cooler to me. It's called Only God Forgives and the poster's got like tigers and shit in it. You know, like oh my God, this is going to be his masterpiece. Like if, if it's, if it's even half as good as drive, this is going to be the greatest thing of all time. So I went to, I drove into New York city for like one of those, like, you know, early release things, like more excited for anything ever. That was like the most excited I'd ever been to go see a film. And I left that theater. So confused. Driving. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't love it on my first viewing. I I do love it now, and I do kind of think it's a good movie. <laughs> you yeah. like it a lot more than I do to this day. To yeah, this day. yeah, yeah. We talk about that it, movie a lot. The last time I saw it, I was surprised that it made sense this time. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was able to pick up all the beats, and yeah. There aren't any like likable characters in it. They're all dirtbags of... Everyone is completely despicable in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's really uh, notable to get around that white savior stereotype or that trope or not that reference. It makes them all awful. And also, there is this storyline going on in Only God Forgives, where like Ryan Gosling owns like a fight club in Bangkok that also might sell heroin and sex trafficking and something to do with his mother or something, right? Yes, yes. Still not really sure what the narrative is there, but the cop who <laughs> is like on the trail, I think he's going after Gosling. They don't, I don't know. Yes. Yes, he is. Yeah. He is. Played by this, um, this Asian actor kind of pops up as this like avenging angel kind of mm-hmm. figure in it. And it just feels like Refn had all of these ideas and just jumped into this thing with a bunch of money before he had a narrative, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's just... I can see that. Yeah, yeah. That's how it felt to me. I felt not, like, betrayed, but 
kind of like Reffin just got so far up his own ass, got a bunch of money and jumped into something before he had it. Like, you know, I, lightning, like was drive lightning in a bottle, right? Yeah, yeah. I view it as a movie about a guy that's torn between his loyalty to his family and wanting to get out of doing the wrong thing. Uh, he would like to cease being a scumbag or whatnot, but he's kind of stuck in that life. And by the end of it, uh, his means to do wrong are taken from him with his hands, literally. And so much of that movie is Gosling staring at his hands and yes. these POV shots of from Gosling's eyes looking down at his very dreamy, tough. Yeah, yeah, he goes to see a prostitute and she ties him up. He doesn't do anything. He just he has no access to his hands. It's strange. It's very strange. Um, Reffin doubled down on the violence in 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 uh, Only God Forgives. Yeah, yeah. I want to say uh, Gosling gets beaten to a pulp a few times where he's uh, weird looking. <laughs> and this. Um, this avenging angel police officer, there's a sequence at like a catering hall where he chops everyone into pieces, right? There is, there is. Yeah. Uh, he doubled down on the neon red and blue light scheme as well. I All would say it makes sense in that because they are in nightclubs and things like that. It does. It does. Um, but these are all aesthetics that like really started with drive, right? This is where Reffin's career has been going since drive. He started off making these renegade maverick, tough fucking movies with a lot of balls. Uh, one of his big influences is uh, William Fickner. And you can like tell watching the pusher movies, right? Um, and then it drifts further and further into this, Michael Mann on DMT world, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't out. I was confused. I was just kind of, I didn't feel betrayed, but I thought, okay, maybe Drive was lightning in a bottle, but I'm still going to follow this guy for the rest of his career because he gave me Drive. He might right? do another good one at some point, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then he made a horror movie called The Neon Demon in um 2016 mm -hmm. about the inner workings of the modeling industry and how it's kind of like the succubus for like lurid horrible people to kind of like trap young women and the artificiality of the modeling industry and this like girl with like a lot of natural beauty uh played by an actual famous child actress like ella fanning is in that movie mm -hmm. um enters this world of artificiality uh, only to be devoured by it literally by the end of it. And um, it's fucking wild because so much of Reffin's aesthetic is artificiality, right? So I liked the themes he was playing with there. I liked that it was kind of this extended twilight zone episode Mm-hmm. And I like that he drifted away from the loner kind of uh, white guy with autism in a room kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, his, his lead characters typically aren't the most emotionally involved people. <laughs> they're, some would say, detached from reality. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
And it doesn't always make sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I kind of liked this um almost like uh like femininity that came to it. Uh I kind of joked at the top that Refin I think to make actual money because these movies other than drive lose a, more money than they make. Uh, he does commercials like for a living, like high end commercials. Like this week he just released something for Prada and you could tell that was a good payday for him. And it, it was perfect. Like that, that is fucking Refn's world. Like that yeah. is his look is like car commercials, perfume commercials, These fashion commercials. I would think something he should explore, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I, he kind of won me back with Neon Demon where I thought, okay, maybe this is where his career is going to be, where he's just trying uh, different kinds of stories. We're not going to get another drive, but we're always going to get something different. We're yeah. always, but, but looks the same and falls within that ref in comfort zone you know it's gonna look like the best shots from from thief and miami vice um but it's gonna make me think like uh like a hordorowski or a lynch film will and everyone's gonna have their own interpretation of what happened and nothing is literal everything is going to be very dreamlike and and open-ended and to interpretation um and then we get to what might be the beginning of the end for Refin? I'm not sure. This is where he is now. And this is the stuff that like kind of blows my mind. So in 2017, the world of streaming was a very different place, right? When he entered or 2019, uh, streaming landscape was very different. Amazon distributed a television series that was 16 episodes long and like 13 hours in length, um, directed by Refn and written by comic book uh, scribe Ed Brubaker, someone who we're a big fan of on this show. Mm-hmm. But Amazon hadn't put all their eggs in. We're going to make the next Game of Thrones basket with uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Netflix was still being fueled by a very persistent subscription growth, you know, and they were spending billions on original programming without hesitation. Disney Plus did not exist, you know, and HBO Max would still be like two years away, right? So it was a very, very different place. And... It is fucking jarring. Have you ever made it past episode one of Too Old to Die Young? I have not. I have not. Uh, the opening is a very tough watch. I like police corruption is something that uh, is very difficult for me to watch, and it's sure. just fucking the uh, the amount of lingering in that opening where this cop's very much threatening to do harm to this lady. It's ah, uh, it's rough. It is rough. There's a lot of, um, and I know the show was kind of criticized for very explicit depictions of sexual violence um, Mm -hmm. and the treatment of a lot of female characters. Um, Is that why he made this? That's kind of what's interesting about Refn, right? Is too old to die young if you stuck with it. And I only stuck with it because 
friend of the podcast and uh, short film director of the uh, movie Anatomia that's on YouTube that I scored. Um, and another Refn fan, Keen Gross, uh, came over my house one Saturday. It came out on a Friday. He told me I've already watched the entire thing. And I thought, I don't even know if there's enough days and hours in the day for you to have done that. But sure. He came over my house and we watched uh, like eight episodes together, like in one sitting before I just was like, Keen, you have to go home. Like, I, I, I can't take this anymore. I, I feel like I'm a crazy person right now. You know, um, that show kind of turned into like the witch, like like actual cauldron of witches, like a coven of witches, like fighting back against police corruption. Um I don't know what the hell was going on and all of those things about Refn where his shots linger too long. Mm-hmm. There, the, the violence is great and it looks great, but it's so boring and their characters are nothing. It's that on steroids. It's that, but longer, you know, like if you thought his two hour movie had a glacial pace, Check out his 18 hour long movie and tell me how you feel by the end of it. You know? Yeah, that is the other reason I I couldn't uh, get past the first episode just because I knew there were 15 more to go. Uh, I was going to mention that when you told me that there were witches in that one, it it was kind of it surprised me because it doesn't seem like something that would have witches in it. But yeah, uh, but spoilers for Neon Demon, uh, same thing, kind of. Yeah, Neon Demon does have witches in it. Uh, also, this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a recurring theme for him, I guess. Uh, this show uh, brought to us by Netflix. Six yeah. episodes. Called Copenhagen Cowboy. Um, Travis, was this show made for 75 people? Uh, two of them being <laughs> us on this show? I I think so. I think so. I don't know who... You could recommend this to other than people we know, I guess, uh, in our personal lives because of being rep and fans, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like if if you have no patience for Refn and if you can't make it through his normal movies, yeah, Copenhagen Cowboy will be the most painful viewing experience you've ever had in my opinion, it will be so impossible for you to get to like the languid pacing and Mm -hmm. him just doubling down on those things thematically that he's always been very interested in, not just thematically, but also visually. Um, He is just pulling himself further and further and further away from what kind of was his breakout which was drive you know what i mean um netflix has had some and i watched like two of these things and i didn't even know it had a name until today it's called scandi noir and basically like the nordic and scandinavian countries have had this uh big recent output over the past like decade and a half of like modern neo-noir stuff i guess the biggest example too i would think yeah, yeah. A lot of television shows, like The Killing. I did watch the American remake um, on AMC. I think it was finished up at Netflix. Um, it had that guy from. Uh, he plays Colonel Rick Flag in the fucking 
you know. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, uh, I can't think of his name. He was in Alter Carbon also. He was in Alter Carbon. It has that guy in it. Yeah. Um, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo being kind of like the biggest example of these. Mm-hmm. Um, also, kicked it off. Uh, I can't think of a, a big one before that. No. Um, but do you think that Netflix is just kind of looking for filmmakers from that part of the world to like finance? you know, stuff that will take off. Like they do it with a lot of Japanese and, and Korean well, stuff Korean also, right? TV and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Japanese stuff. They only care about the anime. But did net, did, did Refn trick Netflix into giving him money by saying, I have an idea for a noir. I'm from a Scandinavian country. And I... then didn't think they would pay attention. And then he made this. I don't know on that. I <laughs> I feel like he does have some name value, so it's slightly better than just some random guy uh, from one of these countries, but yeah. But everything he's made since Drive has lost money, and mm-hmm. his last venture well, into television was kind of his blank check, like Too Old to Die Young. I'm going to pull up the budget here. Okay, it's not listed, but I know it was like his his blank check project, you know? Well, it'll make money eventually with uh, this Netflix show, right? Since <laughs> there's no way to quantify that, and it'll be on there for a long time. But did anybody... <sighs> subscribe to Netflix? Did anyone subscribe to Netflix to watch this show? No, yes. I don't, I don't think so. I highly doubt it and when i turned on my netflix screen you know they always give you the recommendations especially like i was that crazy person who friday the second i got out of work went home to watch this because it's the new fucking reffin thing you know what i mean like i am that audience and netflix should know that based on my watching history right because anytime there's something on reffin uh, by him on there, which I think uh, Neon Demon was on there for a little while. Drive was on there, I know, for a little while. Yeah. Um, when Heat was on Netflix, it was like all I fucking watched uh, for for a year straight every day. Um, it didn't even recommend it to me. I had to like look for it. Like it didn't even pop up on my home screen. It didn't say like new to Netflix this week. It didn't say top whatever. We went online before starting the show to like look for um if any critics are saying anything about it if there's any reviews about it they're very limited there's like rogerdebert.com the ringer and then polygon had this great headline netflix's copenhagen cowboy is the most boring version of the coolest show ever (laughs) it's kind of true kind of true so what is this show about travis (laughs) <laughs> What's the story here? It is about a lady with nondescript superpowers and occasional martial arts fighting abilities mm-hmm. who is eventually going to face off against a family of vampires. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and this lady might be from outer space. Yeah, yeah, she may be an alien. but And that alien might be like a hive legion mind thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. She sees ghosts too. She does. She does. Uh, there's one shot uh, whenever they first revealed that she can see ghosts because they thought it up on set that day. Where uh, is it the underwater shot? Of, 
Yes, the underwater shot. Oh, love that shot. Me of uh, Night of the Hunter, which it did. Yeah. A big fan of. yeah, yeah. I'm sure Reffin's a huge fan of Night of the Hunter. That's a yes. very cool visual movie. Yeah. Um, from what 1929 or 56 or something fucking ridiculous, but yeah, yeah, that's that movie is kind of hard as fuck. I think it is like post code noir too, and somehow they were able to get away with all of that. Yeah, um, it, I always think of uh, older movies being uh, more puritanical, <laughs> but that movie is about an evil fucking preacher that's trying to murder children. Well, like they've cl- been murdering. <laughs> The crazy thing is, like, there was that period when, like, noir first came out between, like, the 30s and the 40s where it was pretty hard. Like, they were dealing with a lot of, like, really seedy subject matter. Mm -hmm. And then much like with comic books, there was that kind of film code. I forgot the name of it. um, Where it's like, you're not allowed to show homosexual relationships. You're not allowed to show explicit drug use. You're not allowed to talk bad about religion. So all of these filmmakers, namely like John Ford made Night of the Hunter, right? Like all these people um, had to figure out ways to work around it. And that's where you get... uh, More abuse the living vampire yeah, yeah and, and also night of the hunter and um yeah. what's the one with uh sinatra where he plays a heroin addict um man with the golden arms have you ever heard of that no no i haven't pretty good movie pretty mm-hmm. good movie uh but they like tiptoe their way around it um this show has no cowboys in it um it's got a lot of pig farmers in it it does it does it does that that much is true um but yeah it's about a girl who barely talks uh who wears a tracksuit her mystical ability 10 year old boy yeah uh-huh and i think her power is that she like is lucky that's what people think it is right yeah yeah she kind of got domino power i guess what they tell you initially but it she doesn't seem very lucky throughout the entire thing. And at one point, one of the later episodes, she talks about how she lost her powers, but then again, she may still have them. And it's just falling. Uh, and like someone says, everyone around you eventually dies or something like that, right? Yeah. 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 It is. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, For- I would like to have found out more concretely, but. Uh, that's asking too much, probably. If if the show was called um, Supergirl versus Dracula, yeah, do you think more people would be watching it? Uh, almost certainly, but yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what Reffin did with Drive, where it's like it's a car movie. It came out the same summer as Fast Five. Like I know a lot of people who I used to work with who went to go see Drive because they had just seen Fast Five, and they're like, "Fuck you, John." Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, "Fuck this you," is- yeah. This is basically the uh, equivalent of uh, your grandmother buying Transmorphers instead of the Transformers thing you want, right? Yeah. Yeah, except it's got Ryan Gosling in it, and yeah, yeah. Uh, he's pretty but, good yeah. to look at. Um, the show is fairly episodic, though, and not really in terms of like each episode starts and stops with the definitive ending. That's why it does feel like this big six hour long movie, but there are like very, very distinct arcs where it starts off initially where this girl Mew, our, our main protagonist, I guess you'd call her, um, who's kind of 
a similar character to Gosling and Drive or One Eye in or Gosling and Only God Forgives also and One Eye in uh, Valhalla Rising or even Bronson, this kind of like stoic kind of silent. Is she in Odin too? <laughs> Is she in Odin too? Who knows? Um, but yeah, she gets, yeah, yeah. she, Very, she like. Uh, I think she only shows emotion once in the entire show. Uh, she she kind of has a crush on that one whore, uh, right? I I had noticed. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you notice there was a part where? Okay, I'll I'll get to the whorehouse. So, um, she basically pimps around her powers, and like people know that she's got these powers. People in these weird rich inner circles, mm-hmm. and she her services get bought by this weird old lady who wants her powers so she can get pregnant right and the weird old lady's brother is the head of this like underground sex trafficking ring outside of the city of copenhagen like on the outskirts and that's pretty much the first chapter she helps this woman get pregnant um and then she refuses to pay her and refuses to let her go and gives her to her brother and she gets sold into this uh, sex slavery and the sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, and she befriends a fellow sex worker who she eventually helps escape. And then that sex worker is killed by this weird serial killer who ends up being a Dracula man. Um, did you That's notice? Yeah, the first time we get to the sex, uh, the, the brothel, right the guy who pulls up to buy a hooker is wearing they don't show his face but he's got the the black gloves on and he like points at the girl and he's like holding a knife and i'm like it's such blatant giallo argento shit you know with the lights i'm like oh my god he's just fucking wearing it on his sleeves now you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um yeah i i didn't uh I didn't know that, but yes, I really should have because yeah, yeah, that is pretty blatant. It's so on the fucking nose. Um, what did you think of this first kind of? We'll call that the first chapter. I know this was the weakest part for me, despite liking how it looked and thinking the the brother who owns a brothel, the the main antagonist here, mm-hmm. was like pretty compelling, and I do wish we got a little bit more of him. Yeah, yeah, I. The lack of follow-up on any of this, or in no lack, no satisfying conclusion. Like we see, uh, the main character burn down their house pretty much, and that's kind of the end of all of that. And I don't know. I think people should start with episode three if they're going to attempt the show at all. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the uh, first two episodes do enough to justify their existence. Uh, it goes back to. He could use a better editor or a more strict editor. <laughs> yeah, oversight yeah. is the big thing. I think. Yeah, or, like... maybe Netflix told them we need six episodes from you, and he didn't want to make six. But yeah, because there had to have been a quicker way to get from this girl having a crush on this, maybe a crush. I don't know, being friends with this other sex worker, them escaping the sex trade and the girl getting killed by the Dracula man <laughs> who we don't know is a Dracula man at this point. We find that out later. He just gives Dracula man vibes. Yes, yes. He does give kind of like what if Dracula was a Nazi vibes, um, 
which the show does have a lot of. uh, And he's essentially like a serial killer, right? Like this like blonde haired, blue eyed, like spoiled rich kid, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. We don't really get... I could have gone for more violence in the show in general. There's just not... There's an occasional burst, but the only really graphic parts are just gunshots. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a really interesting bit, and I know when I asked, did you start the show yet? Because I finished the show last weekend, um, and it put me in a really weird mood last Saturday before our recording. Um there's a good bit where the brother uh, who owns the, the, the main bad guy here is like beating on his sister's um, husband really bad. And yeah. instead of hearing uh, like cries and moans, you hear like actual ADR of like pigs, like squealing. Um, yeah, that is a recurring thing throughout the series uh, where sometimes uh, the men make pig noises. Or like beastal, um, like like really primal, like like lion roars at one point. Like that guy like screams, and instead of a scream coming out, you hear like a roar, and it's it's eighty yard in, and it's fucking bizarre, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part, which starts kind of at episode three, is this girl Mew still in tracksuit. Um, she is now in Copenhagen looking for her friend who was killed and abducted by the serial killer guy. And she starts like sleeping in a Chinese restaurant or something. Right. Yeah. 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 She, uh, it's supposed to meet her friend that was murdered at this Chinese restaurant or something. Friend never shows, but as she's leaving a pregnant lady comes to the door and is having a, is having the baby pretty much. Yes. So she has to get the owner to let them know what was going on. And then there's an issue with the, the baby and she uses her uh, nondescript powers to save the baby's life and thus earn her a bed at the Chinese restaurant. And then the Chinese restaurant owner starts talking about how she has a child who was like abducted basically by this new non-discreet gangster and uh, like this Chinese like triad style gangster in Copenhagen and Mew offers up her services to this woman uh, in exchange for her kindness to help her get the daughter back. Right. She doesn't uh, verbally say that's what she's doing. It's just, she notices it and yeah. I like the right thing. I like the relationship between Mew and this uh, Chinese restaurant owner. Uh, I do too, kind of. Yeah. There's a very good scene where they go shopping for pigs um, that I thought was pretty funny too, mm-hmm. right? Did you uh, take note of what the uh, the restaurant owner was doing uh, for the gangster? I don't remember. No, uh, it was with the pigs. She was feeding uh, corpses to them. True. That's like a big thing, right? Uh, yeah. Because pigs are capable of eating bones and all. Right? Yes, yes. I don't think they ever actually show anyone <laughs> where it's clear that that's what's going on, but yes, that is what's going on. And the pig farm where they're shopping for these pigs, um, 
is owned by this super rich family of weird, pale, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white people. Uh, we find out their son is the serial killer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have big incest vibes where the son is definitely banging his hot mom. And the husband travels a lot. And when he comes home, you find out the reason for his travel and what he does for a living is like he goes around fucking people to like spread his seed across the world because he believes like in his pure bloodline and he wants to like give everyone in the world a little bit of this bloodline from the family. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's accurate. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And you get a lot of real crazy scenes in this house between the family. There's one where the uh, the mom and dad buy the serial killer son like a puppy or something and put it in a box for his like birthday. And they're all sitting at the table like really awkwardly. And instead of opening, oh, he can't open up the present. You hear him shaking it and you hear the animal inside like because he's like trying to get it out and the mom like goes and like hands him a pair of scissors and instead of cutting the box he just stabs it and you see blood all over the table and the family's just so delighted that their child just stabbed this fucking thing Um, did uh do you recall any mentions of the extended family of uh uncle blood tooth and the gardens of torture that no no do you recall them communicating over long distances via the last Jedi powers or whatever. Uh, I do. I do remember that bit. I do remember that bit. I don't remember their name being Uncle Glasstooth and the uh, Fountain of Torture or whatever. No, no, no. Yeah, Uncle Bloodtooth, and they were talking about the Gardens of Torture. No, that's yeah. insane. I... <laughs> it's very odd. And then they're in a cannibals at one point, so I assume that's like a vampire joke or something. I like the tanning booth scene because... Uh, much like all of reference work, he lights neon very well and tanning <laughs> boots are very neon. Um, and like while Mew's on the property, she starts seeing ghosts of her friend, right? And yes, well, she's seeing a lot of ghosts, I think. Uh, a lot of ghosts, but in particular, she sees her friend and mm-hmm. the serial killer son identifies that this woman is like onto him. So there's this little like chase sequence throughout the grounds eventually leading to the pig farm where they just bought the uh, cannibalistic pig thing. (laughs) And she turns into Bruce Lee and karate fights the Dracula man until he gets eaten by pigs. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. I do like the camera work in the the fight scene. There's a point where it just, there's a shot of her from behind just showing her feet in the moment. Uh, I spot where yeah, and it's um, it's almost I don't want to say like a direct nod to um, what's it called, uh, Lady Dragon. Snowblood oh, or Into okay. the Dragon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know the shot in in Lady Snowblood, the first sequence where she's on this snowy mountain and she does the she's got the umbrella thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that, a lot of Kill Bill did it a lot. Uh, her wearing the tracksuit, obviously, not only Kill Bill but Enter the Dragon on top of it. Um, I like that sequence. I like the idea of the pigs mutilating this piece of shit. Yeah, too. I don't love the action overall. I think it's okay for uh, somebody that just learned they were going to be doing action. 
on the radar most likely. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you're a ninja. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I really had that in my notes. Um, <laughs> she suddenly has martial arts powers that she didn't use to escape the first family of miscreants. Well, she didn't have her powers then. They come and go, right? She said yeah, that. he's very spotty. Very spotty. It's fucking crazy. Um, the son survives the pig accident, though. <laughs> and the pig accident. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He survives. Um, his face is all mangled. And the part that really disappoints his mom and dad is uh, the pigs ate his penis off. So he can no longer reproduce, right? And he no longer has a dick. No, no. Uh, so to solve this problem, they decide to build him the ultimate penis, right? Mm-hmm. And in comes actual director Nicholas Winding Refn to play some sort of like plastic surgeon scientist who wants to construct the world's ultimate giant cock for these Nazi vampires. Mm-hmm. And there's extended sequences where they're talking about how great the cock is and what they need to use the cock <laughs> for. And you just, it's Refn doesn't have an ounce of dialogue. He doesn't say a damn thing. He just sits no. there and kind of nods and wears a cool suit. Best dialogue in the show. So he wanted to be present to let you know that he was involved in the making of it. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. This is mine. And this is how I actually feel about everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, is it, meta commentary where he's making fun of us for watching this at that point saying yeah i know you're still here yes this is what i'm talking about yes this is where it's going and i'm just making a giant dick joke and here you are eating it up like it felt like that yes yes there's a there are points in this where it feels like he's parodying himself uh, the I complained offline about the overuse of uh, red and blue lighting, uh, to where I like that generally, but it's really overdone in the show. Where it's like they could be filming an outhouse and it would have red and blue lighting, and yeah, <laughs> uh, it's to the point where I it's intentional, I think, and he's just doing what he wants to do. I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. I intentionally lit my room like a Refn movie and wore a wore a tracksuit for this recording. Mm. Um, not even joking there for the uh, audio medium at home. Um, yeah, I guess like the final act of this thing is it culminates. There is that bit. There are some kind of funny bits with the Refn scientists and stuff like that. Mew starts like uh, trafficking some drugs for this guy and selling drugs for this guy uh, to make some money. And she delivers, they don't say what kind of drug it is to Refn and his counterparts. And they're like bumbling buffoons, these people. Yes. yes. And it's very fucking funny. Like, they they buy it and they're like, I don't want to do it anymore. He's like, whatever, I'm going to open it up. And they, they can't open it and it gets all over the ground and they, they sniff it off the floor and talks oh, about how they should have. Yeah, yeah. They yeah that's what I was like expecting. This. I was expecting him to get out on all fours and one like a pig as he's sorting up these carpet drugs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talking about pigs, we should note um, – PETA launched a campaign against this movie. This is kind of like a dark thing where, um, and this comes off the news earlier today where Michael Bay is, uh, being accused of like killing a pigeon Pigeon on the set of, yeah, something. Um, but Refn bought some pigs from some farmer and then 
the casting crew witnessed him shoot a pig in the head on camera and they had to cut it from the final cut because PETA is like freaking out. There was some sort of whistleblower in the situation. The The Wikipedia for Copenhagen Cowboy is like vacant. There was like nothing <laughs> for well, this. They had to wait for a few more people to watch it. That's Yeah, more than two. They, they don't let you make an entry until there are at least 10 people. Yeah, well, the Danish police are are uh, investigating this, and it was confirmed by a Copenhagen Zoo correspondent, um, where PETA did file a complaint about the production team mm-hmm. killing pigs and shooting them in the head during the filming of this series, which is fucking crazy, but does fall in line with a lot of uh, reference influences. Like he's a huge, huge fan and friend of uh, Alejandro Hordorowski, the Chilean yeah. filmmaker. Um, and I know, like, I've recommended Holy Mountain and some of that stuff yeah, to you. And Holy Mountain you... is one that I want to see, but there's a lot of uh, skinned dogs, it looks like, uh, crucified in that movie early on. Uh, yeah. Along and with like, some other difficult, uh, real stuff. Like. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard movie to watch uh, in general. And on top of it, you have, like... The skin dogs, yeah, there are some of those. There's a lot of frogs on, like, sticks. I was going uh, to say a parade of skinned dogs. <laughs> there's a parade of skinned animals, like yes. all sorts of ones. Uh, lots of uh, little, like, animals wearing funny costumes in that as well. Um, tough movie that I really like uh, that is also a lot of intellectual, artsy, fartsy, gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that... Uh, Refn would be a fan of Hodorowski. Shooting pigs in the face. And shooting pigs in the head. Yeah, I know uh, other influences of his, like Dario Argento has gotten in trouble for that kind of shit. Yeah, and yeah, Italian yeah. Italian horror is just known for that kind of horrible shit to begin with, right? Like, yeah, um, in watching old movies in general, you kind of have to watch for stuff like that. If it, even if it's the sort of thing that you don't like. Yeah, I think, um, what's his name? Like, Kill the Cat on screen Argento and it's in one of the movies. Like maybe it's Inferno or something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Those movies are hard to get through as much as I like them. Um, <laughs> like I love Suspiria. I love deep red. I oddly red is probably my favorite of the Argento flicks. Uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. More so than Suspiria. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think I just like the. It's treasure. Probably. <laughs> Uh, deep red yeah just a little bit it's pulpier yeah 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 um i would say that suspiria might be trashier because it's like it doesn't really like have a plot that makes any sense and it's just kind of just images for the sake of images like there's a scene where like a girl is she gets like her head like ripped out of a window and like smashed up against the wall Mm -hmm. and then like chased through a room and then all of a sudden the room is like filled with barbed wire and she's like for like no reason. And she's just crawling. And then we never understand why there was like a masked man killer in that movie. Like that movie's about witches. You know what I mean? Like why was some like gloved man killer chasing this woman through a room full of barbed wire? The world may never know. Uh, but it looked awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It also has like Udo Kier as like a blind piano player getting like attacked by a dog for some reason too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he originally wanted that movie to be filmed with like little girls, right? Like little children. No, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. They, um, they wouldn't let him obviously. <laughs> um, 
the way you said it makes it sound like he, he, no, no, he can't be allowed within yeah. 30 feet of them or whatever. Uh. Yeah, but they uh, they did change the sets. So, like, all the door handles were intentionally, like, higher up. Oh, okay. So it gives you kind of an Alice in Wonderland type feel exactly exactly yeah so like it's even though they're like grown women they have to like still like get on their tippy toes like open doors and stuff which is kind of cool next time you watch uh suspiria i know i have the 4k that i've been complaining about uh not (laughs) not liking the cover for some time uh maybe i'll do that later um and then the climax of the show is really like now we have two new main antagonists we have the uh, newly resurrected um, pig man with the mechanical penis, right? Yes, yes. And then we have the the Chinaman who has the daughter. So first, she's got to get the daughter back for the Chinese lady, and we get a kind of cool, almost Hong Kong film style confrontation, right? Ah, uh, <laughs> a little bit of there that. Marshall, it's the the bit where she goes full. Uh fighting irish with the way she was holding her hands was i cracked up laughing kind of uh i don't know she is a frail thing yeah 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 you're talking about the give me all you got yeah yeah boxing yeah yeah um yeah so she encounters this uh triad underworld guy to get the daughter back she does do a little fighting irish thing and they have this fight scene and eventually she gets the daughter back for this woman. But tragically, we find out that it's also his daughter. So who really won here, you know? Mm-hmm. And then she goes to save the ghost from the Aryan serial killer brother. And this is where things, this is the final episode where things get really weird. And I told you I fell asleep when I started it. And then woke up to people shooting lasers from their eyes and giant like Muppet things. Um, the brother and his well, the this the the pig boy and his family are from a race of kind of ambiguous undead beings that resurrect one another and have powers that have something to do with blood. Like they are like kind of vampires. And in order to resurrect their really powerful daughter to defeat Mew, uh, the the guy's sister who's passed, mm-hmm. he needs blood of his mom. So his mom gets real horny and shows their boobs. And he gets her blood and like brings it to his sister in this coffin and resurrects his sister for the final confrontation between the sister and Mew. And they fight telepathically with one another and then we find what happens this is what i got and then you (sighs) finds out you tell me what you think and then you finds out um we find out that mew is from like an alien legion hive mind of superpower people and there's other people with these powers and they're overseen by a race of immortal beings called the giants and then as they're about to fight, the Dracula sister shoots lasers from her eyes and it ends. Yeah, I just saw her screaming as a, uh, a sign that she was going to be coming for her in season two. <laughs> a warning. Yeah, I didn't see it as them in psychic combat. I thought they were in psychic combat. 
Because there was it's like, possible. they were talking, right? But they weren't moving their mouths. <laughs> and they were far away from each other. You would be able to do that, but I should come back. Yeah, yeah. It was very jarring and definitely ended on a cliffhanger, kind of. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I liked the lasers shooting out the eyes and everything. I did too. Yeah. That was sweet. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We should mention uh, the the drug dealing side quest that Mew goes on with uh, mm. Miroslav, the, uh, the yes. main character from Pusher 3, or uh, the main actor, rather. Great hair. That guy's got great wild I hair there. I think he does a good job in this. But. Yeah, I like that actor a lot. It, throughout all the Pusher movies, mm-hmm. uh, he goes from being very compassionate to very menacing in the Pusher movies very quickly. And then mm-hmm. the third one, he's very tragic the entire time. Guy kind of runs the gambit of emotions throughout those things. Um, and if you are interested in those Pusher movies, like, Mads Mikkelsen is like 19 years old in them before he was famous. And it's pretty cool to see a guy who's come up has been so big. Like that guy's been in like star Wars, Harry Potter, fucking Marvel, like Hannibal Lecter. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. he's kind of ready made for a reference film and that he always kind of seems detached. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and scummy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say that about him, but yeah, yeah. It's Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention there's a, a bit where they have a shot of Mew with just light streaking off of her and all sorts of angles. Uh, like that shot? I, uh, there's a shot where she's got like flowers hanging off of her face too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't know, <laughs> understand the significance of that, but uh, yeah. but it like the wallpaper kind of was flower too, so it looked kind of cool. Maybe uh, she's a, a plant being, and each of those uh, flowers represents a human being. Uh, it's a woman. Mm-hmm. It's flowers, um, right? Maybe she's the avatar of the green, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. James Gunn ties her into the DC cinematic universe, maybe? <laughs> About to happen, right? Yeah. yeah, like what if Gunn was like, you know what, we're going to get Reffin to make a Constantine movie, you know? Yeah, was it really- be an interesting pick because like early Hellblazer is kind of much weirder than uh, later Hellblazer for me where it's mm-hmm. ley lines and fucking weird logic yeah yeah it like makes no sense um, well wasn't Reffin originally gonna make Wonder Woman with Christina Hendricks before Patty Jenkins wasn't that like a thing I don't remember that at all. That is I, I a sw- weird combo. <laughs> I sw- well, I think Christina Hendricks, like in 2012, like peak Mad Men, would have been yeah. a great Wonder Woman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like a little old, but whatever. I sound horrible saying that. Jesus. Um, and I think he was going to make Logan's Run for a little while, like a Logan's Run remake. Mm-hmm. Which is absolutely insane, you know. Oh my god! There's a here's the here he was going to do it. He was in very very early consideration, and he says, um, "I really want to do a Wonder Woman movie with Christina Hendricks. I had those underoos. I had Wonder Woman underoos. That's what he said, quoted as saying." Jesus Christ, dude! We one thing we. Uh... 
kind of skipped over with the, the final fight scene with Shang and Mew is she defeats him by repeatedly punching him in the chest. And at no point does he does she punch completely into his chest cavity and I was disappointed. Yes. Or <laughs> yeah. explode, just explode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's just something visually interesting. About the chest uh, just turning into an orifice and a fist going through yeah, it? Yeah, it doesn't even have to be gory or anything. You could do something weird with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a video drone style, like just goes right through it. Well, yeah, you punch him into him and it turns out he's a robot or something fucking ridiculous. Yeah, maybe Reppin decided on that day he is a robot, and that's that seems why. to be what... Uh, Reppin has said that that's kind of what they did with the show... I don't know if he's telling the truth. He could be lying. He, <laughs> he has a tendency to lie like crazy in interviews, like since. Um, At least only it God seems like he's lying. <laughs> it really Maybe does. Ready Player One is a movie that he thinks is great. Maybe he thinks Pretty Woman is the most subversive popular film of all time, you know? And he adores Cloverfield. He loves that movie, watches it all the time. Like, it's so bizarre. Um, I, I, I want to understand Reffin, you know, and I want there to be something to understand more than anything. Yeah, that that's yeah. more like what it is. Is I want to believe that there's a rhyme or a reason behind it, and if there's not, I'm kind of not too upset because of how well executed it is. The idea that like. The guy behind that camera is capable of crafting some of the coolest visuals I've ever seen mm-hmm. in styles that are an aesthetics that just really strike me personally, you know, and, and kind of fit a palette and, and a sensibility that is something so artistically pleasing for me. You know, personally, like, mm-hmm. does Reffin make movies only for me? Sometimes I feel like I, which is like a crazy thing. Or guys like me, those, those film bros who love Heat and Thief, mm-hmm. you know, and love Blue Velvet. Like, I am one of those guys. And Reffin seems to make things in that vein aesthetically, but is there any substance to it? Like, you just watched Mahalan Drive for the first time, right? Yeah. Okay. At any point in Mahalan Drive, did you feel David Lynch has no idea what he's doing? No, no, no. There's. It made enough sense by the end. Uh huh. And everything was done purposefully, whether or not it was uh, the logic of a dream state or or the logic of the um, the narrative, right? Yeah, I've never seen uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. Yeah. Yeah, that's a movie that I really like that you have to pay complete attention to, but that's a movie where I feel like everything has a meaning. Uh, I don't understand, like, a few scenes in it, but... Sure. Yeah, yeah. But they knew they were, they were doing, and yeah, very stylish. And very stylish. And we're fans of kind of uh like we're both kind of getting into uh tarkovsky kind of right Mm -hmm. like we watched stalker both for the first time last year um unfortunately we didn't watch it before we saw loki otherwise we probably would have just done an episode on stalker um (laughs) with the void and all that um but but we're both kind of we're not strangers to 
long languished yeah. glacial pace. Like we have the patience to sit there and absorb really slow moving cinema for the sake of just like, Oh my God, look at the it's purposeful. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and crafted that magnificently. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care if it's crafted that magnificently, but how much of someone's patience can you test before it's not before people stop trusting you? Right. Um, and that's the real question kind of with, with a lot of refin, um, we're kind of already doing it. Do you want to just call it quits on kind of breaking this down and talk about our, uh, our final thoughts and, and our reviews on uh, Copenhagen cowboy. Sure. Sure. Okay. That's how you really feel. Let's read this. So we here at Only Pod Forgives. <laughs> Maybe she's a pod person. That's- Maybe she is a pod person. Hmm. Maybe she's a crab person. Hmm. Yes, we here at Only Pod Forgives uh, rate and review all of our installments from one to five pig squeals. One pig squeal being the worst, five pig squeals being the best. We do accept uh, a half an oink uh, pig squeal. Um, Travis, like this show tests the limits of anybody watching it and, and tests the patience of anyone watching it whether or not you're one of those ref and diehards whether or not you're someone who's vaguely interested in art house cinema and is willing to jump into the ref and well i really do truly think there's an argument for the people who say Refin is a cinematic genius who knows exactly what he's doing and the people who say Refin is a one-trick pony like I, I feel like there's validity to both of those things. And I think it almost the entire time I'm watching something, I can't just absorb myself in some of this stuff. And uh, I have a lot of trouble letting this stuff kind of wash over me the way I used to with him, um, where I could put on uh I could put on Neon Demon. I could put on Drive, and yeah. and I could just kind of like let that sensation Enjoy. just kind of yeah. yeah, and vibe with it. Um, Too old to die young and Copenhagen Cowboy. It would last for about five minutes, and then I'd just be like, okay, like, are you just being self indulgent or not? Yeah. Um, but is he self aware in that at this point? Like, is he aware of that style and of what he's doing? And is this all a hundred percent completely intentional? He knows what he's doing and he's making us feel that purposefully. Does that make it okay? Like, is he art house Kevin Smith where Kevin Smith knows what he's doing in the sense that he just wants to make movies with his friends and he gets play Mm -hmm. with it and Mm -hmm. they're unwatchable, but yeah. Yeah. But the technical craftsmanship of these things, as opposed to somebody like Kevin Smith, where this guy will throw like, look at my technical prowess. Mm -hmm. Look at the images I'm capable of doing. 
I know this doesn't make any sense. Are you suggesting that Kevin Smith isn't as adept at the end? (laughs) Kevin Smith has never moved a camera once in his life. It's fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Like, he's just a point and shoot. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, like, is there some sort of uh, mastery in that that kind of self-reflection that he's going through right now? But how damaging is it going to be to his career and how much is he restricting himself from losing the trust and losing the faith of people like us? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I know for me personally, if so long as the trailer doesn't look terrible, I won't give anything you know, at least a peek. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do the same thing with the director of Martyrs where I keep checking out his words even though I only like Martyrs. <laughs> Which is crazy, right? Because that guy like knocked it out of the park, made an actual masterpiece at one point in that very specific genre and just has never been able to replicate it once since. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like stylistically I, I, I at all. People didn't like his most recent one, which I I thought it was just the worst. <laughs> I thought it was the literal worst movie. Yeah. 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 That's the one with Crystal Reed, right? I'm not sure. It's the one that has the uh the doll that makes noises at random intervals throughout the film. Where yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I give this thing a, a three out of five. That is going to be my score as well. I, I don't dislike it. I just wish uh, those first two episodes didn't exist. The uh, actual relevant plot points for in a flashback or something. And then, yeah, I would have enjoyed it a good deal more. I I don't like having my time wasted. And I those felt like two hours gone. Uh, yeah, and there's, there's moments there's of this show. Yeah, there's good stuff in there. There's good performances in there, too. Yes. But, like, is he aware of those time-wasting moments? Like, like, you feel like he's fucking jabbing you with fucking knives at some point during this like literally begging you to turn this thing off and and you he knows you're not going to if you're one of these guys you know what i mean um like stop it (laughs) stop doing that um i hope he can get funding for a movie because then there are limitations for how long he can make the fucking thing yeah yeah uh, i would love to see like neon or a24 come to refin or janice or something like that you know one of those french companies come to refin say (laughs) we are going to give you a very specific amount of money and a very specific constraint and do what you can within those constraints i asked this to you today is there a five-star masterpiece that's only an hour and a half to two hours long inside of this movie inside of this series i i don't know about a masterpiece i think there's a pretty good one like on par with only god forgives or something where uh yeah yeah well maybe not even quite that much because of the uh the ending being what it is and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I don't, I don't understand the ending as far as why why do did he think there was going to be a season two? Is that if if you cut this thing into her defeating the guy with the pigs, none of the prosthetic penis shit, and the mm-hmm. end being her getting the kid back from the Chinese guy? Yeah, that is there a go- go- yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good point. 
That would There's, be to- totally great. You'd have to cut out all the vampire stuff out, probably, right? Yeah, you'd have to cut out the vampire stuff. And, and then we'd miss out on the mom's boobs, and they were great. Yeah, so. yeah, and just the maimed person after the, and his sweet mask. Yeah, the uh, the dad's hair is pretty cool, too. Yeah. The blonde guy's hair. There's a lot of people with weird bone structure in it. Yeah, yeah. Like very Those, prominent cheekbones. Yeah. A lot of uh talk about like foreigners in it too. You know what I mean? Like no one in it is actually from Copenhagen, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um the prostitute Oh had uh, their passports stolen, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the um the guy, the brother who owns a brothel, he's like Albanian, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. And they're like Romanian, the vampire people, and like none of these people are actually like from Copenhagen. And like, is that how Refn sees his culture? Like all these like literal parasitic vampires just kind of like leeching off of the place where oh, he came from. There's a uh, a first nationalistic. Uh, I'm suggesting it, he's it, the Danish or the Copenhagen cowboy. He's the Copenhagen cowboy and he's just kind of xenophobic against all these foreigners <laughs> and all these foreigners. He has a right to be because they're actually vampire fucking yep. crime lords, you know, and they're bringing all this terrible shit inside of his homeland. Like, is there some sort of nationalism in there too? You know, cause this is like Refn's homecoming. He hasn't made a film in his home country since pusher three. And this is what he did. Mm. This is what he came back to. The opposite of what made him famous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely think the Pusher films are probably his most successful, other than the subtitle thing. Yeah, I think Drive is by far his most uh, accessible in that. If you don't like that movie, you're just a dummy. Like, I, I literally, that's a that's a make or break thing. Yeah, 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 100%. Like, if you just don't like Drive, I'm just like, well, I don't trust you anymore. You know what I mean? Um, that's kind of a perfect thing. Um he would also be great if he made the Spectre. I'm trying to think of uh, characters oh, that uh, reckon. Yeah, 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 yeah. That he could do like uh, Constantine or or the Spectre would be pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad we finally got to talk about Refn. I wish it was a better affair than Copenhagen Cowboy. Yeah. This was. Yeah, I, I would still recommend this thing though. Like, if you like good filmmaking, if you are interested in capital C cinema like watch Nicholas Winding Refn movies like watch them they're they're (laughs) interesting at least at least they make you think about something and you don't just they don't just leave your system the next day you know what I mean like whether or not they actually have anything to say or the fact that they don't have anything to say is what bothers you um they're still worth investing your time in if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense at all Good performances in them. Uh, I agree too. Yeah, um, especially the Gosling performance in yeah. in Drive and uh, and Only God Forgives. It's very um, subdued in both, but it, it still works for me a bit better than the lead person here. Uh, yeah, and he does the fake uh, the fake Brando thing kind of throughout them. That is kind of like what he's so good at. You know what I mean? Um, and I always appreciate. I always appreciate Ryan Gosling. I hope Ryan Gosling never makes a superhero movie. That's one thing. Um, I feel like it would <laughs> really upset him. him uh, doing Ghost Rider? Uh, no, 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 I don't. Or like Adam Warlock. Oh, no, he can't be Adam Warlock. No, that yeah. was like always a rumor like I heard back in the day. Like, please don't have Silver Gosling. Silver Surfer it is. Then. Silver Surfer it is. 
with his buddy Norman Reedus. Yeah, um, he can just uh, do voice acting that way. He can be doing uh, other films. <laughs> well, he's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Travis, before wrapping it up for the evening, let's uh, talk about some quick new news items and trailers. Okay. Ant-Man trailer, right? Yeah, uh, Ant-Man. First good look at Modoc in armor and in his normal fat head uh, form. I'm I'm so happy that they didn't um like go too deep with uh trying to change what <laughs> Modoc like. why does he have a big head? Well, well I guess they could have an explanation for it. I uh but <laughs> I've seen a lot of people complaining about it. Uh just why? I I guess some people don't think that just because it's in the comics that's what it should look like in live action, but I just completely disagree. <laughs> that's like the opposite of what everyone said for the longest time. Now we're yeah. finally getting what they're what they what you've said you've wanted and you're complaining about it. Like mm-hmm. Modoc is a character I never thought I'd see in live action. No, no, he, he's a ridiculous design, and that's kind of why he's been around for so long mm-hmm. he is like one of the weirdest most strikingly obscene looking characters like in comic books in general and yeah, yeah. the fact that we're getting something that just looks like that is is fucking great in my book you know what i mean the only complaint i could see is that i don't know how much would be in, in cgi they've only shown us like a far away shot i don't know why they couldn't have like an animatronic or just cut out someone an actual person's face and blow it up and put CGI mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just have a wet puppet. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the wet puppet thing is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Just I think uh, they're afraid of giant heads. They didn't give us the, the supreme intelligence either. No, no. They just cut the uh, Quato head out of the prosthetic belly, and they're just like, "Here's your Modoc prop." You yeah. know, we painted yeah. gold. Yeah, yeah. Because Quato kind of looks like Modoc a little bit inside that guy's tummy. You know. Mm-hmm. Quato rules. Um, I mean, one of the reasons people might be complaining about the uh, the visual effects is uh, some of this fucking news where Marvel and Disney apparently pay their visual effects artists uh, approximately twenty percent, min- like at least twenty percent less than the majority of the other studios. Yeah, yeah, they're exploiting right. the uh, the workers and then. Uh... Creating unrealistic demands, changing stuff on the fly. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of wild to hear that they cared that little. <laughs> and you can't be doing that with like the deadlines and the president that you're trying to set. Like Marvel no. Studios is announcing five movies a fucking year sometimes, and all of these projects. Like, how do you expect to get any of that done? And Mm-hmm. It, it just sucks it's like you know people just want jobs working in their field and you know the dream like make a marvel movie and it's like oh, do no, you really want to make them yeah 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 exactly and also like how much do you want to put your name on that product if it's going to turn out like um thor love and thunder yeah yeah. yeah yeah like you mentioned before with the uh the head of uh modok and like just blowing up somebody's real head and i can't help but think of that that little fucking hemdale <laughs> son's head and yeah yeah 
and just like how they it looked bad in theater then they replaced it with different equally bad cgi for the home (laughs) and he just like looks like zordon like worse than zordon oh yeah 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 Yeah. it's fucking terrible zordon was practical effect and it it looks better (laughs) 100 percent. like um this Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is going to be so heavily... Like, that whole movie looks like it was shot on a fucking green screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the entire thing is a CGI environment, whether it's, like, Unreal or Blender or whatever the fuck they're using. Like, mm-hmm. it, it looks like the entire thing is is crafted from computer-generated imagery. Um, so, like... It's supposed to be a big film in, in that sense. Like, it's a bigger stage or bigger scale, rather. Is it big or is it like February big? You know what I mean? Um, well, it just means compared to the, uh, the last two Batman films that were kind of lower stakes. Yeah, but they had such like cool, clever visual flair to them. Like I really, really like those two mm-hmm. first Ant-Man films for how clever they the powers were utilized and some of the fight sequences. Like that kitchen fight and the second one is so yes. fucking neat. And the train fight, obviously, in the first one is so fucking neat. Um, It'll be interesting to see how they handle all that in an environment where there aren't uh, fun things they can shrink and make giant. That's what has me concerned. One of the things I like about those first two Ant-Man movies. Salt Shaker and the... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just like how small stakes those, no pun intended. Mm -hmm those first two ant-man movies are um especially in terms of like the big marvel world building stuff like i just kind of like how self-contained those are um it was like a nice kind of breath of fresh air when it came to the mcu and this looks like it's uh the important movie to set up the next phase of the marvel cinematic universe and that has me a little concerned a little bit also I don't know if I like Kang. I've been trying to read some <laughs> Kang. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's tough there. I I like the design of the character. I think he can be done well. I kind of like the uh, the recent miniseries uh, he had because it mm-hmm. does a good job with a nonsense character, kind of, that's had a lot of iterations and continuity things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the Kang that I keep finding myself gravitating towards using Marvel Unlimited is all like kind of 60 Silver Age appearances where he just kind of pops up being weird every once in a while. <laughs> and that's the stuff that I'm like, okay, I like this Kang because yeah. like, he's there for a week. He's kind of defeated. He's in ancient Egypt next week. He's kind of, you know, I like all that stuff. Like, yeah. fantastic board adventures. All of his personas kind of also. Not yeah. Just, maybe call just, him Kang at some point. That, that would be nice. And I hope Jonathan Majors just puts on a clinic, you know. I hope the uh, the pyramid thing he's on is his spaceship. Oh yeah, or his yeah. time machine. Timeshare is that what yeah. they call it? Morbius chair is that what it's called? No, that's the other. That's a better character. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a black racer. Sorry. Um, oh man, Jonathan Majors would have made a great black racer. Oh, whatever. Um, Angela Bassett won a Golden Globe for. Wakanda first, uh, forever. first Marvel thing to get one right? Uh, yeah, first Marvel, like... What was that? Did uh, Rhodey got? Rhodey got a Emmy. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And Golden Globe really isn't too fucking prestigious. The uh, for Hollywood Foreign Press is kind of like a scummy organization, and that's like an award show that's more like a precursor to the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of fun because you get to see like one of the fun parts about the Golden Globes is like people get drunk at them, so they're like a oh, little bit yeah. they're a little bit looser. Like Jennifer Coolidge, uh, Stifler's mom from American Pie, was like hammered and being like crazy horny and. Um, she like grabbed Colin Farrell at one point. It was pretty funny. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis cheering on Michelle Yeoh was pretty cool. I don't know if you saw that. I did see that. I did see that. It was nice. Yeah, that was nice. Um, short round speech was hilarious. Uh, still call that guy short round. Well, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No time for love, Dr. Jones. Um, <laughs> hold on to your potatoes. Um, but... Again, like uh, the first Black Panther was nominated for some Academy Awards, one of which was an acting nomination for um, Michael B. Jordan. I can see Angela Bassett getting this and possibly winning and then not really being for the movie and just yeah. kind of like a lifetime achievement. Like we've screwed you over on a lot of chances <laughs> where you should have won this. So here you go kind of mm-hmm. thing, which would be nice because Angela Bassett's one of the greats. Yeah. yeah, and she ruled in that movie. Yes, yes, she did. Exquisite uh, shoulder muscles. <laughs> indeed, indeed, especially, uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. So we will be back next week, um, probably talking about another uh, movie that interests us. We have a lot of fun with these episodes in between uh, our intellectual property and big franchise (laughs) there. Um, I I know last week we did the um, white lightning and the wonderful whites of West Virginia and the Jessica white story. And I had a blast with that episode and I had a blast finally getting to talk about Refn, some uh, kind of a interesting figure kind of in my life and my love for filmmaking so thank you for mm. indulging me in this and sorry you had to sit through this entire <laughs> no uh, no it's fine hours. it's fine yeah, yeah i've watched a lot worse this week i assure you <laughs> okay good 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 um if you are interested in uh the trash that we're watching you can follow us both on letterbox you can also find us on social media at the mcu beyond infinity podcast facebook group a wonderful place akira travis and i have started to talk any and all things related to the mcu comic books nicholas winding refin jesco white mountain dancing you name it we're talking about it over there for better or for worse um if you want to reach out and talk to us about mountain dancing directly you can email <laughs> us at mcu beyond infinity podcast at gmail.com and uh yeah with that being said my name is john i'm travis and i don't carry a gun i drive i forgot that whole speech <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha